Welcome to the Simple Cyber Podcast, brought to you by Internet 2.0, where our cyber intelligence specialists talk with other domain experts about the steps you can take to keep your organization safe. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Cyber Podcast. My name is Philip Neek, Head of Public Affairs at Internet 2.0. We talked to Dan Holman and Eric Fliss from WorldStack about the increasing need to have a multidisciplinary and proactive approach to cyber threat intelligence, and how such an approach can support governments and businesses to address the full spectrum of cyber risks, opportunities, and challenges. Eric and Dan are co-founders of WorldStack, where their mission is to help organizations manage risk through insights gleaned from publicly available data. Eric has spent the last 20 years helping organizations protect their assets in both protective security and cybersecurity, with the last 11 years working in the cyber domain delivering GRC, security assurance, and threat intelligence services and solutions. Dan has over 15 years of experience working in the government and defense sectors, locally and overseas. He is passionate about helping his clients design, implement, and evolve their cybersecurity, investigations, due diligence, thanks, and Thanks, Dan risk and Eric, for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Traditionally, managing cyber risk has remained restricted to technology professionals and some risk professionals, rarely, if at all, going beyond these two sets of professionals. However, increasingly, we are seeing a crossover of concerns when it comes to cyber. Can you explain how, where, and why this is occurring? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the places we're seeing this crossover is in uh, third-party risk or supply chain risk. Uh, traditionally, that's been the area uh, for the procurement team, um, but increasingly we're seeing the security team becoming a lot more involved. So uh, an example of that is, I guess, when you're doing business with a vendor and you're thinking about your organisation and, and its risk, um, threat actors are thinking about how to get access to your to your organization to your people and to your data and some of the easiest ways to get there is is through your vendors so um, that's why i guess uh security's uh getting a little bit more involved um when it comes to assessing risk of partnerships and vendors uh for for organizations so that you're trying to understand like so how how good are the defenses of of our partners can we rely on them to be good custodians of our data um, in providing access to our network? Are we providing another vector for threat actors to, to gain access to our organisation? I guess what was traditionally uh, more about uh, assessing risk when it comes to you know, financial capacity to, to execute on, on a contract or having the right people available to deliver uh, outcomes, uh, or yeah, indeed, uh, correct insurance, which which are really the concerns of of, of a procurement team. We're now starting to see organisations think about uh, well, well, how how secure is this other organisation that that has my data? You know, uh, you only have to look at examples of, uh, for example, uh, third third party or remote backup solutions. Um, we've seen a number of uh, breaches where uh, you know, data that was backed up and then shifted remotely uh, without encryption uh, was intercepted and then, uh, you know, threat actors were able to access that raw data. So, um, you know, th that's just, just an example of how, I guess, the security is sort of crossing over into into supply chain risk. Um, look, I, I think the, the other one uh, that comes to mind is um, brand and reputation. 
So Brandon Reputation has traditionally been our concern for the, the, the marketing and communications team. Um, they're the ones that are monitoring social media. They're the ones that are, are managing uh, the organization's brand, uh, build, building, I guess, eminence in the market. Um, but what we're increasingly seeing is, is damage to reputation of an organization can become uh, a security concern as well, uh, particularly as, uh, I guess, uh, highly visible people within organizations, for example, those on the board, um, become targeted uh, in a way uh, for, for example, um, you know, they, they might be socially engineered uh, in order to, to gain access to an organisation. Eric, did you want to... Yeah, I was just going to touch on that myself about the, the blurring of, I guess, lines between who's interested in, in security, whether that's, uh, you know, physical security or cyber security within an organisation. Uh, Dan mentioned, like, communications manager... Um, traditionally, they're interested in brand management reputation and they're monitoring, you know, uh, with tools, they're monitoring for mentions of their company, good or bad. Um, and what happens, and, and we've seen it and worked on some of these cases, is the communications manager may find something adverse that they think is a security risk. They don't have an internal threat intelligence or necessarily even a security function within the organization. So they reach out for help to um, companies like WorldStack and others because they don't know what to do with that information. Um, some other blurring is more in the incident response digital forensics. Traditionally, that's about investigating um, you know, what's happened on the box um, on your network, for example, um, not necessarily looking outwards for more information. So there's a bit of a blurring there where now they're actually looking outwards for more information than just what's available and as zeros in one on their network. Could I ask, just as a follow-up question, given, I guess, the crossover that we're seeing, are you finding that where traditionally perhaps a uh, chief information security officer or someone from from the IT division of a company would come to approach uh, a you know cybersecurity firm or a firm like yours. Are you finding that professionals from other backgrounds are approaching you? So, for example, from like you mentioned, brand procurement, because they're seeing these risks and they, like you said, they don't understand how to deal with them, so they're looking for that expertise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that that may even be the legal department. We've been engaged by several departments from from a legal aspect where they've had um, a, a cyber incident, um, but they're looking at it as a, I guess a, a whole risk across the business, and they just want as much information about whatever that that incident was. Um, that obviously they can understand more easily what's happened internally because they have all the information at hand we just talked about incident response digital forensics but you know they don't know necessarily what else is out there in in the wider you know uh internet environment and do you think that would help at all i guess with respect to we we, we see a, a lot of uh conversation and reports about the need to be able to have access to company boards that they understand that risk as well and given that, you know, cyber seems to be quite pervasive and a touch on every part of the business, do you think that at all changes kind of the dynamic for boards? I think if you look at most organisations, you know, cybersecurity reports into the, the head of IT, the CIO, uh, but actually their concerns 
across the entire organisation, as we were just talking about. Yeah, I think that's gotten better in recent times. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess Dan and I have worked in cybersecurity specifically for around the last 12 years, I guess it was. Um, and I guess back then it probably wasn't seen as a board level issue necessarily. Um, and I think that's changed in, in more recent times. In some organisations, I'd agree with that. Yeah, mm. so in some organisations, the size has got a seat at the table now. Uh, it's yeah. still pretty rare to see. Um, but what I am seeing is is a, an increasing awareness at board level of cyber risk. And indeed, yes. some organisations are treating cyber risk as just another business risk, which it always should have been, because it is yep. it is just another business risk. It's, it's information risk. Um, and so... Uh, it needs to be treated with the same level of governance as every other risk um, that a business uh, has to deal with. I think that's a good segue into the next question. That's given the sheer spectrum of cyber risks and vulnerabilities that we know exist and the increasing importance um, of addressing them in business and their awareness, but also noting the limited resources available to address them all. What do you think is the best approach to managing these risks when applying that multidisciplinary approach? Uh, I would say that the two main things is taking a more targeted approach um, to what it is you're trying to do, uh, as well as, I guess, understanding, um, you know, your environment and your gaps in, in your threat awareness. You need to understand what's going on at a base level before you can actually start, I guess, plugging those, those holes. It's no good, um, you know, if you've got 10, 10 gaps, you plug one, but the others are still, you know, leaking. That's no good. Uh, as well as prioritisation, right? Not all, all um, threats or, or risks are the same level. Um, Dan, did you want to elaborate a bit more on that? I know we've spoken about, um, you know, patch patching and so forth uh, recently. Yeah, look, um, so when we talk about prioritisation, I think I think you can apply that to a number of different um, areas of the what would traditionally be thought of as a cyber defence um, framework, you know. So uh, in terms of planning, uh, you know, you really need to be looking at things like threat intelligence to inform your planning of your cyber capability. You know, where will I invest next? There's just not enough resources to, to fix everything, to deal with everything. So, you know, what are the threats? to my organisation, to my region and to my sector and and really be focusing on those, you know, it's good to have a, a compliance approach to say, you know, we have some fundamental elements of security capability we need to have in place, things like multi-factor authentication, uh, privileged user access management. Um, but on top of that, once you've, once you've sort of got past, um, I guess, those level of baseline controls, you need to start thinking about, well, you know, wh where are the threats coming from? Um, in terms of my uh, particular organisation, what what is my technology stack that I need to protect? So, you know, an example of prioritisation we were talking about before is, okay, so I I'm interested in understanding what the vulnerabilities are for my organisation so that I can so that I can patch those. And so, the traditional approach to this was that the IT team. Know, looks after this function and um, they're sort of monitoring different sources for example Microsoft to say every so often we'll, we'll have a series of patches and we've got to deploy them all but the question is um, I guess given limited resources to do the patching which 
which assets should we patch first and which patches should we do first? And so that's where intelligence can really help you as well to understand, you know, this particular asset has this particular technology stack uh, and here's the vulnerabilities we're aware of. You would want to start with the highest level vulnerabilities in remotely accessible assets and patch those first and work your way down. And there's a similar problem in this in the SOC, right? So analysts are triaging alerts that are coming in from different security systems. In most SOCs, those analysts never actually get to the end of the list. There are thousands of alerts and Level one analyst's job is to look at the alert and try and work out, is this something we need to do something about? And then if, if they think it is, they pass it up to the next level who investigates it further and so on. Um, you know, I guess when you think about intelligence-led in that context, what you'd want to be doing is filtering those alerts before the analyst looks at them using intelligence to say, you know, what what is the highest priority alert here given what we know about our organisation, our region and our sector? Uh, these are the threats that we're aware of that are targeting us. Therefore, these alerts are probably more important for us to look at first. So, you know, you're spending more time looking at highly relevant uh, alerts that are, you know, most probably the, the biggest threat to you uh, at this point in time. And the same thing applies um, to, to incident response, right? At any one point in time, if your organisation is large enough, you're dealing with one or more incidents at the same time. So how do you prioritise which resources to deploy to which uh, response. Once again, you can use intelligence to to inform that, you know, uh, what what is the impact of this incident? And, and you can, by understanding your threat actors, by understanding your, your technology environment, you can make better decisions around, uh, you know, where should we place um, those limited resources? Yeah, on the resourcing side, if an organisation has, you know, extremely limited resources, taking a, a you know, a fire, ho fire hose approach to um, threat intelligence in this case, whether that's vulnerabilities or strategic level threat intelligence, it really creates another problem for that team because now they've got, you know, 2,000 alerts they need to deal with instead of five or six alerts that are high priority and they know exactly what they need to do with it. I would um, just add a little bit more to yeah, that. So I guess because we're we're not sort of filtering and so let's let's say we've got threat intelligence and that's primarily, you know, uh, bad IPs, bad domains, bad hashes. Uh, well, your detection systems have get all, all of those and, and they're sort of they're monitoring all the traffic and they're, they're generating all these alerts. Right. But if if you're if you're not actually the target of those threats, you're going to have a whole heap of alerts that you don't even need to respond yeah. to. Uh, the other thing is your those um, detection systems, they've only got you know limited capacity to to handle to handle rules. It's not a limited capacity, an unlimited capacity to to be able to run detection rules. You know whether it's a firewall or intrusion detection system, uh, even an antivirus system. You know so. So what you would want to be doing is, is once again, applying intelligence to this process and saying, you know, the likelihood we're going to get attacked by something that's happened, you know, a threat that's, that's been here for over three months ago is is a lot lower than something that's happened in the last in the last week. So, you know, how, how many teams are actually going back and reviewing the rules in these systems and removing things that they don't need anymore? Because each of the each of the rules that are firing are using up you know, different resources on those 
devices. And I guess at least in our experience, you know, there's potentially resource savings there by removing old rules that you're not using anymore, therefore not needing as much capacity in those detection systems. And those resources can be redeployed elsewhere. So, you know, in addition to prioritisation, I think intelligence can help you reassign resources to where they're, they're being yeah, potentially a lot more effective. What I'd like to do is to, you know, close, close out um, our discussion today is talk about proactive cybersecurity um, measures beyond the updating of the firewalls, the, you know, the assessing the vulnerabilities and the, the pen testing that you ordinarily find and maybe provide some insights into, you know, some proactive measures that you think are helpful for businesses or even governments for that matter. Oh, I think I think the first thing that I would say is you need to have a better understanding of what are the threats to your organisation. So if you haven't done a risk assessment to understand that, and I'm not talking about a risk assessment that looks at specifically, you know, just your information assets. You know, there's more assets than than just your your data holdings. Um, you know, you need to consider all the threats to your organisation. And then I think the next thing you would do is look broader out outside of your, I guess, sphere of influence and say, what are the things that are hitting my industry? So if they're hitting your industry, it's likely that you're more likely that you're going to be targeted as part of that. They tend to be thematic in terms of how threats play out. And then regional, because the same thing applies to regional attacks. You know, we, we see, if you look globally, uh, attacks originate in, in, in a certain region, then they move to another region, and then sometime later, you know, a third region. And so there's different patterns of the way threats move. And by understanding those patterns and knowing, for example, that a new particular threat is emerged in, in, in a region, you would then be able to say, well, in the next three to six months, we're likely to be hit by that threat uh, in this industry, in this, in, in this country. Yeah, and the key, one of the key things there is, you know, organisations traditionally just sort of look inwards um, when it comes to, you know, cyber security and threat intelligence. What are we seeing on our IDS, IPS or on a firewall? That doesn't necessarily give them an understanding of what that threat actually means. Um, so they really need to look outwards continually what threats are over the horizon what are others in the industry seeing um, you know what does that mean is this attack uh, you know we're seeing this indicator of compromise uh, what does that mean is this a script kitty is this a nation straight state threat actor the only way you get that is looking outwards um, you're not going to understand that just by looking at you know zeros and ones on going across your network and the other thing i would say is um you know uh, if you look at the uh, the Ponemon Institute study that looks at the, I guess, the cost of a data breach, um, we're seeing that the cost of data breach is increasing and the amount of time it takes before a data breach is detected is, is getting longer, uh, upwards of, you know, nine months now uh, before a breach is detected. That's a long time for, for your data and customer data to be out there. And the longer that that data is out there, the higher the, the impact and cost to your business. So... But, you know, there's there's something to be said for having an ability to detect those kinds of data breaches sooner. And there's all sorts of active cyber defence techniques that you can apply to be able to detect those kinds of attacks earlier in the life cycle, even to the point where, you know, when you think about concepts like uh, content deception. So 
there are techniques now in active cyber defense where you can generate simulated content, put beacons inside it, deploy that into areas where you think threat actors will go, and then you will have other indicators as to who might be in your network that are on top of your traditional IDS, firewall, et cetera, whereby, you know, if someone was to, to access that file, potentially they trigger the beacon. And that could be an insider that's opened it and perhaps shouldn't have. It could have been taken out of the organization through some sort of file transfer mechanism and opened somewhere else. And that beacon gives you some signal that that's happened, uh, where all of your other security controls may not have, have raised any kind of alarm. And in terms of the simulated content or indeed use your own content, as in there's no need to create fake content in some cases, uh, it can have... Um, some impacts in terms of data integrity or upstream and downstream processing if you were to put fake data into, into your real data holding. So some organizations prefer to use their, their actual data for this. But what you can do is if you're actively monitoring for that data to appear in those web, social media, dark web sites, then you can get an early warning that the, your data has actually been compromised and, and has appeared online somewhere. So we, we were, that kind we of, were, sorry, Dan. There you go. I was going to say we, we were involved in a post-incident response, uh, pretty much doing that monitoring for threat actor leaking data. Um, so we set up uh, monitoring for that and found it um, nearly straight away. We were able to work with the client and have that data removed within two hours from where it was being hosted. Um, and it limited the exposure of, of that data to about, I think it was 65 people had viewed it. Whereas if that had sat on that site, it would have been viewed by way more plus copied and, and you know, um, spread across the internet even further. So, um, you know, you can get outcomes like that being, you know, more proactive with, you know, monitoring for data breaches. Yeah, and we're seeing even after um, an incident of, say, ransomware and, let's say that you've paid the ransom and you've got the key and you've decrypted all your information, how do you know that that organization isn't going to later leak the information anyway? Are you actively monitoring to see if they've done that and then taking action? Or are you going to be waiting nine months to find out that it's happened later and that data's been out there for all that time? Well, uh, to, to that point, Dan, you mentioned Conti Group before. One of the things they say on their website is just because, you know, we don't publish your data, don't assume we haven't compromised you because we sell your data to others. So that they might, you know, uh, compromise an organization, but they won't publish the data publicly. They'll let them know they've compromised them, um, but they'll also sell that data off to um, whoever is interested in it, you think about a nation state, if they've compromised a third party vendor um, that supplies, you know, something, people or, or software or whatever it may be into a government organization that 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 foreign nation is interested in, well, they're going to sell that data to that foreign nation. Another thing to think about is, uh, and this is a bit of a concrete example when it comes to security operations centers. So, yeah, typically what you'll see happen is is users will report, oh, I've I've seen this suspicious email, and and then an analyst in that team will will have a look at the email and try and understand, okay, it was this a phishing email, was it a spear phishing email, 
and maybe there'll be some indicators of compromise created and then those will be put into your detection systems and and maybe they'll share that with other with their i guess other security teams that they might be sharing threat intelligence with uh the the problem there is who who is taking the next step of analyzing that and, and the series of those of those emails and saying is this a pattern of behavior you know is this targeted why are we being targeted? Is this some sort of campaign? Is it only affecting us or is it a whole industry or particular organisations? And you can't really get to that level of intelligence without applying uh, more of an intelligence discipline to threat intelligence. Um, I guess traditionally threat intelligence has been more of what I just described. You know, uh, we grab the email, we might get the payload, we use malware reversing to pull the malware apart and understand how it works and then try and infer from that how we might detect that in the future but but no one's really going to the next step and saying was you know was this targeted you know what should we do about this is do we just treat like in terms of are we just looking at the technical threat or are we trying to understand who the threat actor may be uh can we discern from the from the tools techniques and procedures used who it may be and therefore what their motives might be and you know answering questions like as Eric mentioned earlier, is this just someone that's grabbed a tool set and, and deployed it against us in some sort of, you know, distributed denial of tax service? Is this uh, opportunistic criminal groups sending emails to random, you know, Australian addresses? Or is this indeed a targeted attack against, you know, say I'm a critical infrastructure provider? Does it seem like these people may be trying to gain access to to certain assets or to um, you know to affect some other sort of uh, change on the organisation. So I guess you know you really have to, in our view, you have to uh, think about how do you bring other disciplines into cybersecurity from from places like humanities. Uh, in our case, um, you know our cybersecurity intelligence team started from a from a base in intelligence and then were educated and trained in cybersecurity and and I think there's a large difference in people um, you know that have come from an intelligence discipline in the way that they think um, not that there's anything um, better or worse it's just different and I think um, something that we'd benefit from in security generally is having different kinds of people working in the field that come from different, I guess, walks of life and different disciplines to apply those those learnings to the problems that we're trying to deal with. Because when you think about it, a lot of the problems we're trying to deal with in security are human problems. And we're, we're trying to solve them with technology. And I think that if you looked at other industries, um, some of the biggest breakthroughs in those industries have come when you've had people from other disciplines come and work at the intersection of, of the two disciplines. And, and that's where real innovation and change can come from. Look, uh, thank you, Dan and Eric, so very much for sharing your insights on a multidisciplinary and proactive approach to cyber threat and intelligence. No problem at all. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We appreciate your time and know you'll be able to improve your security using the information from today. And remember, when you need the best security for your business, speak with us and get the solutions that only Internet 2.0 can provide. <laughs>